Today's episode of Prospects to Pros is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think NFL tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last minute tickets. Welcome to the Athletics Prospects to Pros podcast. I am Chris Burke, uh, sitting here in a hotel in Green Bay, borderline delirious after that Lions Packers <laughs> game last night. Uh, so let's uh, let's welcome in Dane Brewer. Hopefully, he can uh, <laughs> save the ship today. Um, and just a quick reminder that this is our first of two episodes this week. Um, a Thursday show, as always, will be for subscribers only. We'll get into uh, a little bit of a preview of the college football and NFL weekend coming up. Talk about the XFL draft, which just kicked off Tuesday with the quarterbacks being assigned to the eight teams. Um, and again, that's for subscribers only. So make sure you get to theathletic.com slash prospects to pros. You can get 40% off your subscription. Check out that podcast and uh, all the content on our site, all our other podcasts. Lots of stuff there for you if you buy in. So, uh, yeah, like I said, a welcome in Dane here uh, before I say something stupid or <laughs> just start trailing off. So how's it going, Dan? Uh, it's going well. Uh, yeah, it sounded like you had a busy night last night. Uh, never disappoints, right? Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it seems like there's always, always one of these games per season with the Lions. <laughs> the first year I covered them for the Athletic was the, the year they lost to the Falcons on the 10-second runoff. Uh, at oh. the goal line and then miss the playoffs because of that call. So um, who knows? Yeah, it's always an, always an adventure. Um, but uh, <laughs> it was all primed to tell you. It was, a, it was a fun, like fun football weekend leading up to Monday night. And then things kind of unraveled <laughs> Monday night. So, uh, but yeah, you watch that. Did you watch the Lions Packers game at all? Uh, yeah, I, well, I only watched the first half and then, uh, Smart. I had a, <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't have the luxury of opting to not watch the second half. Uh, like you didn't, you did not have that luxury. Uh, <laughs> but no, I think you're right. It was a fun football weekend and really it kind of started, uh, last week with, uh, it, you know, even Thursday, Friday with some of the games. Um, I don't, I think this conversation is really going to be quarterback heavy when we talk about everything that happened. Uh, with these prospects over the weekend, uh, especially, I mean, we just have to. I think we have to start with Joe Burrow. Uh, we talked a lot about how it was a prove it uh, type of Saturday for these quarterbacks, especially Joe Burrow, who was going to face a defense in Florida who was going to give him his biggest test to date. Uh, it was one thing, you know, going to Austin, beating Texas is great, and you know, beating up Vanderbilt and some of these other teams. You know, all the credit to Joe Burrow for that, but. Facing a Florida defense that was ranked top 10 in the nation, um, that was a different test. Facing future NFL guys, that was going to be different. Now, it is fair to point out that Jonathan Grenard and uh, Jabari Zaniga were not 
100% healthy. Uh, Grenard barely played. Uh, he started the game, but quickly was in street clothes. Uh, and Jamar Zaniga still not 100% as he's trying to battle back from that ankle injury. But still, not to take anything away from Burrow because he was lights out. I mean, that guy is a stone-cold killer uh, with his demeanor, his mentality, the way he attacks the game. Um, we talked a lot about uh, over the last few weeks uh, how Joe Brady and that offensive system is really helping him in terms of uh, preparation, in terms of the play calling, uh, understanding how to attack vulnerable spots in the defense. And Joe Burrow's making the throws. Uh, he is not al- allowing pressure to affect his decision making. And so all the credit to uh, Burrow and that offensive system. Uh, now, I think it's it's almost like the Kentucky Derby. Uh, you know, if you want to be win the Triple Crown, uh, you know, there, there's three different races you have to win. Uh, and so for for Joe Burrow, uh, you know, when you talk about his NFL evaluation, there's three key matchups. This one was the first one. Uh, so, you know, he still has to come back and he's got Alabama and Auburn left on the schedule. And so I think those three games, Florida, Alabama, Auburn, three opponents with NFL level defenses, guys that are going to be playing in the league, that's really going to be what uh, drives the evaluation. And so, so far, so good. He, he passed the first test with flying colors. And, uh, so now it's kind of how high do we want to consider Joe Burrow now as a prospect? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. We've talked about just the development that's happening. Like, I don't, no one saw this coming to this extent, right? Like, this is through the roof that he's gone from, you know, kind of a, a, (laughs) just sort of a sidebar here, but I I play in a fantasy college football league with a bunch of friends from college, just kind of a way to stay in touch. And uh, one of my buddies dropped Joe Burrow before the year started (laughs) and we haven't (laughs) let him forget it, but that's kind of where we are. It's just sort of like, well, is this going to, how's he going to be this year? Is he going to be any good? Like, is he going to work in this offense? Um, What's he going to look like? And now, like you said, he's, he looks like a totally different guy. We talked before about there were questions earlier in his career about his arm strength and, and he looks, I mean, he's making all the throws. He looks just totally unrattled by pressure. Like you said, they Florida, I'm sure he'll be disappointed by uh, the lack of times that they really got heat to him. But I, I mean, every even when guys are getting there, he's making throws and he's standing in the pocket and he's finding guys downfield. And it's just been an incredible rise. And last week, one of the topics we hit on was, you know, has anyone emerged to really push to a at the top of the quarterback list? And I, I don't know that we're there yet with Joe Burrow, but it, he's at least in that conversation, I think, of guys who are right behind Tua, isn't he at this point? I mean, he's just playing that well. Yeah, no question. Um, in my Obviously, Joe Burrow did not appear anywhere on my preseason top 50. Uh, and then I did an updated version a couple weeks ago, and he came in at 32, 33. Um, so, you know, he's, he was putting himself in that first-round discussion. And after beating Florida like he did, now I think he's putting himself in, in the top 10 discussion. Um, now, again, when you do rankings and draft boards and things like that, when we talk about the pecking order throughout the season, there's a lot of ebbs and flows. I mean, it, it's a it's a very, uh, you know, it's a, it's a living type of ranking system, as opposed to when we get to January, February, when it's more tweaking and not, you know, making massive changes. But when there's actually football happening on the field, uh, that's when there's going. we're going to see these massive changes. And Joe Burrow, there's been no bigger riser than what he's done. And 
He didn't come from completely off the radar, like we said all season, but he was in the mid-round mix. I mean, he was a guy that you thought, okay, he's he's a son of a coach, he's a gamer, um, you know, he's he might be a little bit more of a game manager and not a playmaker. Uh, that, that's what we thought coming in, because uh, that's what we saw last year at LSU. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's it's really the perfect storm this year. Talk about bringing in Joe Brady uh, and what he's done to that offensive system and the play calling. Talk about these receivers. These receivers are uh, big time to helping Joe Burrow's development. Talking about Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. Um, you talk about this offensive line, which was tremendous against Florida's defensive line. Uh, Joe Burrow has not has really benefited from that as well. And then uh, you know the run game as well uh, with uh, Edwards Hilaire. Uh, he he had a really good game uh, Saturday night as well. So. It's really the perfect storm of everything coming together at the right time for this LSU offense. And Joe Burrow's at the center of it. Um, and it, consequently, it, it is definitely affecting his draft value. And if you told me it, it, like, that right now you wanted to draft Joe Burrow over any other quarterback, I don't have any strong disagreements with you because based on what we've seen so far, I, I get it. I understand why you would do that. Now, I'm still a Tua believer. Um, the body, There's more of a body of work right, right now with Tua. And that's why I've said from day one, we are not going to have a consensus number one wide or quarterback in this draft. It's just it's not going to happen. It, teams are going to be all over the map, whether it's Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow or uh, Tua or even Jordan Love is not completely out of the discussion. So, so we have a long way to go, but Joe Burrow has certainly put himself in that mix to where he's at least forcing us to have this conversation. Yeah, and again, that's just it's crazy to think of the progress he's made just from even August to now in this mm-hmm. discussion. I'm trying to think of like Trubisky, maybe. I'm trying to think of guys that have risen like this in recent years where, you know, you sort of had him on the fringe and then and like you said, I mean, I think we looked in went into the year thinking, all right, this is probably a senior bowl guy and someone that gets into camp and competes for maybe a number two job as a developmental quarterback. And now we're talking like this where you're saying, well, he's, he's done enough to push himself into the first round and maybe he's the number one, maybe he's QB one when all is said and done. It's just, it's been astronomical really. And I'll credit to him. He's, it's not fluky at this point by any means. Right. I mean, he's doing this every single week and we just saw it against a good defense. And like you said, I don't, I don't think we have seen this. I mean, like you could say Trubisky and Cam Newton, you know, but those were one-year starters, guys who really elevated themselves. But where have we seen a guy have a pretty average to solid junior year, uh, but then as a senior really lighted up and turned himself into a first-round pick? Like we mm-hmm. just, I don't think we've seen that in the, you know, at least in a dozen years that I've been doing this. Um, you know, we've had guys off the top of my head, you know, like a, like a Geno Smith who had an okay junior year and then really, uh, you know, turned it up as a senior, but he did, he wasn't even a first round pick. Um, you know, he certainly helped himself, but you know, I don't think we've really necessarily seen the guy, you know, we've seen one year starters. You mentioned Trubisky and Cam Newton, guys like that, but we have not seen that guy just go from mid rounder as a junior to first rounder as a senior. Uh, it, it's really something that, uh, is unprecedented, at least in recent memory. So, um, but that's that's that, that's it's an interesting topic and something that will continue um, the next few weeks, especially I think what we're we got Auburn or LSU is at Mississippi State this weekend. Then they have Auburn at home the following weekend. Then they're off. Then they go to Tuscaloosa. So hmm. 
plenty of more Joe Burrow talk coming in the in the coming weeks. Yeah, and we we always tend to trend towards the quarterbacks on this show and just in the draft discussion in general. I think it's because we've seen how the importance of uh, that position across the league and in the draft. It's just so much of a focus, and this is such an interesting class, as we've said. You know that. It's going to be hard to settle at the top, I think, and and beyond that, you know, it's not just the number one guy. It's going to be these draft boards are probably going to look vastly different. Another guy we've talked about a lot, uh, who we've been kind of waiting to see get hot and have a couple big games is Justin Herbert, and he he played really well. That it was looked like a tough matchup against uh, Colorado uh, on Friday night. Oregon won forty five to three. Herbert uh, threw for two hundred sixty one yards, a couple touchdowns. Um, I, I think that was a that was a big game for him. Just to, as I said, we've sort of waited to see this. There, to wait to see him kind of take the reins off, and uh, obviously that game went very well for them. They still rushed for two hundred and fifty-two yards, so that that always helps. But uh, a good night for him all around. I thought. Yeah, it really was, and I think where he impressed me. Uh, was what he did on money downs. Um, you know, a lot of first downs, uh, a lot on third down. I, I tracked every third down and fourth down throw that he had, and uh, he did a really nice job of being consistent and efficient. Uh, I think it, there was only one throw that he made that was actually inaccurate on third or fourth down. Uh, I counted three drops, three legitimate drops. Um, and then there were six others that were either a first down or a touchdown. Um, so third and fourth down, Justin Herbert was really good against Colorado. And, uh, yeah, he, he benefits from a really good offensive line, uh, his left tackle, uh, only a true sophomore. So we're not talking a lot about him now, but, uh, we'll be talking about him, uh, a ton, uh, at this point next year. Um, but yeah, Justin Herbert is kind of, he's stuck in that. All the tools are there, but there's just one thing missing, and you're just waiting for him to, you know, prove it to you. You know, you want him to have that prove it game and, uh, you know, really stand out. And uh, this coming weekend against Washington, uh, going up against another physically talented quarterback, Jacob Eason, uh, Washington has a really good secondary, like they always do. Uh, a lot of, you know, new faces and new names, but there's still plenty of talent for the Huskies in their, in their uh, secondary. So, uh, another test uh, this upcoming weekend that will mean a little bit more than what he did against Colorado. Um, but yeah, Herbert has done nothing to take himself out of that top 10 mix and the conversation to be the top quarterback. Yeah. And unfortunately they lost Jacob Breland to that game. Who's mm-hmm. another guy we've talked about. He had the knee injury. Sounds like he's done for the year, which, um, you know, again, it's really sort of hard to peg how these, how these injuries are going to hurt a guy moving forward. I always have to wait and see, you know, sort of what the severity is, what the recovery time is going to be. But Jacob Breland's a guy that we talked about as uh, at least being pretty steady in this draft discussion, if not rising some and a key weapon in that passing attack for Herbert. So that's another obstacle uh, is figuring out how to adjust without him because that's, you know, that's a guy who had uh, 26 catches, six touchdowns. I mean, he's he's been in the mix, midst of a pretty big year. Yeah, he was the safety valve of that that offense. He, he knew how to get open over the middle of the field. And, um, yeah, no, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because that's something that we need to watch for uh, moving forward. We talked about how the receivers, kind of the the weak spot of, of that offense. And so Freeland uh, working the middle of the field, uh, down the seam, he was uh, that that uh, outlet for for Herbert, uh, especially on on those money downs. So 
uh, we'll see how we adjust moving forward. So, again, especially this upcoming weekend against uh, a formidable opponent. And uh, I guess we'll, since we've mentioned him a few times, we'll we'll bring up uh, Tua Tonga Viola right here uh, because I, again, we've ta- said he's sort of standing out for us at least, and for you as the a number one quarterback in this class, getting a little pressure now, maybe. Um, but some big games coming up for Alabama. Still, they had a test. Uh, on the road at Texas A&M that, you know, they were big, pretty big favorites in that game. I think you, you said last week you thought maybe Texas A&M just didn't really have the firepower to stay in there. Um, and we sort of saw that play out. Alabama was up early. They won by 19. But, you know, four more touchdowns for Tua. Um, and, and spreading the ball around, really, if you go through that list, there's just so many guys in that offense that could hurt you. And he, he – been pretty good at getting all of them involved it seems like it's a different guy every week there which I don't know I mean I feel like that's always part of the discussion when we talk about these guys that come from especially Alabama but some of these better programs you know what what does it mean to be playing with you know to have this this group of wide receivers that nobody can cover like how does that change the quarterback evaluation right and you know it's funny I I feel like over the summer one of the things that we really wanted to see to improve upon uh, was okay take the cape off stop trying to make some of these ridiculous throws and because you know sometimes they would work but sometimes they'd lead to mistakes and so just reeling it back and understanding you know when to take those shots when not to and take better care of the football um i feel like that's what we talked about what he needed to do uh during the off season and now people are killing him because all the talent around him and he's you know throwing uh, a simple screen to Henry Ruggs, who's taking it 35 yards for a touchdown. Okay, well, he. I wasn't killing it. No, no, I know, not you, but like, there. I feel like that's the the echo right. chamber yeah, I yeah. hear on social media is sure. Uh, well, before it was he was doing too much and he need to reel it back. Now he's doing too little and he's just you know he's taking what the defense is giving him. He's relying on uh, his targets to do all the work uh, or you know a large portion of the work. And it's just, I don't know, it's smart quarterback play. I mean, if you have guys like Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs and Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith, and you got all these guys, all these weapons around you, and, you know, the defense is playing off coverage and they're giving you that simple slant, then why aren't you taking it? You know, like, I mean, should should Alabama make it a little tougher on uh, Tua and, you know, make him uh, try to throw the post when it's not there. I mean, it, he's doing what the defense is giving him and I'm not going to kill him for that. Um, so yeah, he's, he did throw his first interception in this game. Um, worth noting that first interception of the season. But I mean, besides that, it was another, uh, you know, typical day at the offers for uh, Tua and what he's able to do. And Alabama just uh, continues, continues to move along. And so it's, it feels like we're just counting down uh, the days until that LSU matchup that uh, that what second week in November um, feels like that's kind of what we're doing. Alabama's got what, Tennessee this weekend and Arkansas after that should be two wins right there. And then both LSU and Alabama have a bye week uh, before that the big game in Tuscaloosa. So it should be fun. Yeah, I haven't seen that Alabama-Tennessee line yet, but I assume it's uh, several touchdowns. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I mean, just to sort of add on to your point, I think the other thing is you're not we're not talking each week about these receivers going out and making a bunch of ridiculous catches either. And that was one of the things we brought up early on with Tua is just that the the ball placement and the accuracy is usually pretty good. And you, so you, a lot of these plays where they're turning five or ten yard throws into 
70-yard touchdowns, uh, you've got to give them some credit for you know hitting these guys in stride and on the move so that they can take off after the throw. And you're seeing that over and over again is that he's putting the ball you know right where these guys are at all areas of the field um, so that they're able to catch and accelerate after the catch. And I think that that's uh, you know, if we're going to sort of knock him for having these really good receivers, and again, we're not doing that, but if you want to knock him for having these really good receivers, I think you got to also acknowledge that he's he's helping these good receivers. He's putting them in position to show off their speed and show off their game-breaking ability because he is making all those throws. Like, uh, you can't just drop any quarterback into a, into that lineup and have the same things happen because I, I think he is throwing the ball really well too, and so that's probably worth – uh, worth at least a little bit of a mention as we kind of nitpick his game here. Yeah, no, 100%. There, there's not a better slant thrower in college football than Tua, and I get it. That's that's not exactly what you want to hear from your number one overall pick if you're, they say, the Miami Dolphins is, oh, he's a great slant thrower, but that's just a part of his game that is underrated, that is really pays, plays a big part. And you know, you think about what Baker Mayfield's doing in Cleveland right now. Um, you know, a lot of his watching the game on Saturday or Sunday against the Seahawks, his ball placement, which is usually a strength of his game, uh, was was off. And, you know, Odell Beckham needs to make some of those catches and some of his other targets need to make some of those catches. But when you're running, when it's a simple, you know, out route and it's just a little bit behind you, you're making it more difficult on your receivers uh, to, to complete that catch. And that's something that can be small detail, but it matters. Um, and that kind of brings us to, to Jake Fromm, who is, when you talk about accuracy, you talk about ball placement, he is one of the best in college football. Uh, but he did not have his best game on on Saturday. His or you know, his first loss ever uh, in Athens, I think he's now 14-1. and one. Um, South Carolina somehow pulled the upset. Uh, Georgia only scored 17 points. Uh, which is crazy when you think about that Fromm threw the ball 51 times, uh, which is a ton for Jake Fromm. He never threw the ball more than, uh, I think, 39, I think was his previous high uh, in terms of pass attempts in a game uh, over his career. So uh, he threw the ball way more than he's used to throwing, had three interceptions, which is very not uh, Jake Fromm-like. Uh, and South Carolina was able to pull the upset. It was it was a definitely a game that makes you, I, I think, from the start. Jake Fromm is a quarterback prospect that is really going to challenge evaluators uh, because of you know he doesn't have those elite physical skills, but he's really smart and he's very accurate. And those are two of the big variable, two of the big keys to playing the quarterback position at a high level. So it, he's really going to challenge evaluators. And this game probably his worst game ever as a as a college player and so it does make you kind of go back to the drawing board and say okay well what what about this game made him struggle was it what the defense was doing was he just having an off game um it, it, i don't know did, did you have a chance to see jake from this one yeah and i think it was surprising for just what you mentioned that's sort of been the thing he didn't have an interception going in like he's you know again i don't want to throw around the game manager tag and and sound like I'm knocking a guy but I think that that's been one of the one of the benefits of Jake Fromm is that he he has been like you said he's taking care of the ball he's been smart with his throws and this one you know at least one of those I don't think one of the picks in that game probably wasn't all his fault but um yeah it just he just never really looked comfortable facing that defense and I haven't had a chance to go back and re-watch it or anything and try to I, I didn't know enough about South Carolina's 
you know, defensive scheme going in to say, oh, well, look at this huge adjustment they made to throw him off. Um, but certainly there was something in that South Carolina defense that made him uncomfortable, I guess, with his reads and with his throws because it, it did – it never really looked like he he settled in. And, and that's – I think you're right. I think that's the – it's pretty easily the worst he's looked this year. And um, I guess you probably would take it further than that. So that's uh, – you know, <laughs> that one definitely stands out because I think it was such a – just came out of nowhere too. And that's – again, we talk about all these, you know, sort of big matchups just inherent with playing the SEC. and this wasn't really one of the ones anyone had circled so um you know they still have uh they still have florida and and auburn and i, I you know I, I think missouri who's who's ranked or on the verge of being ranked like they still have some games coming up where uh you know he, he's either gonna have to bounce back from this one or you're gonna see it sort of spiral so um but yeah i, I was i was shocked like everyone that that was a close game but i think it was also surprising to see him play the way that he did for sure Agree, and uh, you could say the same thing about uh, Rodrigo Blankenship, the kicker for Georgia, yeah, who's right? <laughs> the he's going to get drafted. Um, it's just a question of how high does he get drafted? Is he a um, you know a, 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 can he be a top one hundred guy uh, for a kicker needy team? Is he going to be more of a fourth, fifth, sixth rounder? Um, but I would be surprised if he's not drafted. This was not his best game. Um, he had his first miss of the year uh he he had a i think a 50 yarder in the first quarter and he was like 11 of 11 on the season like everything was going as we expected and then he missed his final two field goals including uh the one in overtime that uh won it for south carolina uh it was a i mean it wasn't a simple it was a 42 yarder so not just a walk in the park for um you know a college kicker but this is not just any college kicker this is a college kicker that will be an NFL kicker a year from now and so uh that was uh it, it was not the best performance for several uh Georgia players it was not just uh from although i will say that DeAndre Swift had his typical 100 yards uh rushing um Andrew Thomas at left tackle looked terrific as usual uh, and then I think it's important to mention Javon Kinlaw for South Carolina, who mm-hmm. he, he was a top 20 pick coming into the year, in my opinion. I think he was number 19 on my preseason board, and he's only played better. He's only getting better. So I think it's fair to ask, can he get in the top 10 discussion? Uh, can he challenge Derek Brown to be the first defensive tackle drafted? That That is a fair conversation to have. And that's sort of the the I don't want to say the exact opposite of some of the like the Tua conversation but that's a guy who's excelling on a team that's you know you know it's an okay team it's certainly not a great team um so you know you talk about some of these guys that are playing well with elite talent around them and um you know that that's someone who is standing out uh, often while drawing a ton of attention from the opposing offense just because he is such a a wrecking ball inside so yeah uh that's certainly a guy that we've talked about before and we'll talk about continuing to move forward here. I wanted to get to quickly here. You've got um, a post up at the athletic, you know, just sort of looking at uh, some guys who might be under the radar first round uh, prospects, guys that are playing really well early in the year here. (laughs) Joe Burrow, as we've said, sort of falls in that discussion now, but uh, you had five other guys um, on your list here. I, I was actually the one that sort of jumped out to me was uh, John Hightower because I know there were a bunch of NFL scouts at the at the Boise State Hawaii game this week, and um, 
uh, you know, Hightower's had a couple big weeks in a row here, and as but I'll let you get into him. And if there's anyone else on this list, as I said, it's up at theathletic.com right now. Uh, future first rounders, five under the radar uh, prospects. So uh, I'll just throw that to you and see if you have any thoughts on Hightower you wanted to uh, elaborate on here. Well, yeah, the purpose of this article was I wanted to introduce some new names into the first round discussion. Um, I wanted to be a little bold. Um, You know, I don't want uh, I think people can get tired of hearing the same names over and over um, as being first round players. And so I wanted to introduce five new names that could be maybe surprises, five names that maybe some people haven't heard of. Um, who are legit first round contenders. Um, and this is try to, it, it's more predictive than reflective. So you're trying to predict, you know, a, a Leighton Van Der Esch type, a guy that isn't really a household name, but down the stretch, he plays better and then all the traits are there. So it's really, you're looking for those traits. And you mentioned John Hightower. He's on that list. He's a perfect example of, he has, you, you try to key in on that one important trait. And with Hightower, it's speed. He has the speed where he can win off the line of scrimmage and then just dust corners, and it's just it's not even close. They can't catch up. They can't do anything. So whether it's a vertical route, uh, whether it's you know it's a it's a crosser, uh, they'll use him on jet sweeps, whatever they can do to get the ball in his hands. Uh, Boise State's going to try and do it, and so I think John Hightower, similar to say like a Will Fuller, uh, the way he was a first round pick for the Texans. If the right need and the fit is there for a team looking for a field stretcher, a guy that has big time speed, John Hightower could maybe get into the top 50 mix and then even into the top 32 mix. It's certainly possible. Um, I would encourage people to go check it out to get all five names. The other name I do want to mention, uh, Austin Jackson, USC left tackle. Um, I have not heard his name much at all out there, but when I've talked to scouts, uh, and other people in, in the industry, that's a name that keeps coming up as this guy is a stud and he continues to uh, play well. And uh, I had one scout tell me that he, he's he's right up there with uh, Werfs and, and Andrew Thomas uh, as being the top tackle. So I didn't expect that. And, you know, when I watched him, I, I saw obviously he's very promising, moves really well, um, needs to tweak some of his mechanical stuff and get a little bit stronger but in terms of a guy that's on the rise and ascending and you can you can key in on some of those important traits uh, austin jackson certainly has those uh, uh just uh, another guy that we've talked about before just on that boise state hawaii game um curtis weaver made some big plays mm-hmm. in that game he looks like he's gonna be interesting going into the draft I, do you have any feel for cole mcdonald in hawaii is he a guy that is 2020 eligible? I mean, he's eligible. Is he a 2020 yeah. prospect or is he uh, a guy that's, you know, wait for another year? Uh, I mean, selfishly, I sure hope he goes back for another year just because yeah. I don't think he's ready. Uh, I mean, he's he'll make some wild throw. You watch his highlights and you say, okay, yeah, there, you've got something here. But when you watch the rest of the plays and you see some of the interceptions, some of the decision making and, um, you know, he's – he is a sometimes he's a very confident thrower, but sometimes he can be an unconscious thrower and just kind of just let it loose and say, you know, 
whatever happens, happens. <laughs> and so yeah. that's not always the right recipe. Uh, it, it can work in the Mountain West, but uh, I hope he goes back and kind of cuts back on some of those bad decisions, become a more uh, efficient passer. Uh, and I, I think he is capable, uh, but hopefully he's he goes back and we'll be talking about him as maybe one of the intriguing senior passers at this time next year. Yeah, he's got some athleticism too. He's got a little of the uh, like Gardner Minshew personality to him, <laughs> which uh, would always right, make him fair. interesting heading forward. Um, yeah, and you Cole mentioned Komet. Curtis Weaver, yeah, uh, who yeah. sorry, who uh, is I, I mean he he definitely deserves mention with the way he's played this year. Uh, he's uh, top five, I believe, uh, in the in the country in in pressures. Uh, so you know he's up right up there with in the sacks and tackles for loss, but. Uh, also in the way he's able to uh, just get after the quarterback. I think he's he's one of five players, I believe. I looked it up yesterday. One of five players with 30 or more pressures on the year. Um, you know, Of course, Chase Young is from Ohio State's near the top of that list. Uh, but Curtis Weaver is right there. One of five players with 30 or more pressures so far. Yeah, and I, I was just going to mention another name on that, that list. It's Cole Komet, who's a guy that's mm. uh, come up a couple times on our show. But uh, I'm... I'm a huge fan of his game. I think you, we've seen him kind of emerge. I saw in the comments of that story, you know, someone was asking you why why you were even considering him a, a sleeper. <laughs> I think uh, you brought up some valid points that this is – it's not like this is a guy who came into the year with, you know, 120 career catches or anything. Like this is someone we still needed to see the production from and the consistency from, and he was hurt right at the start of the year. And, yep. um, yeah, I think he's – He's had a couple, uh, a couple really good games now against some good opponents, and they have you know Notre Dame's got a few more big games coming up. But uh, just in terms of what NFL teams look for in their tight ends now, and, and you know we see it time and again, just want to you want to have a guy who can block in line, but you need a guy who can just sort of move all over sideline to sideline pre-snap. And um, you know, I think he, uh, I think he can be one of those guys at the next level. He certainly looks like it. Yeah, no question. And if I'll say this, um, if he if he plays at his current trajectory, the way he's been playing and he stays healthy, he'll be a top 50 pick. Um, I feel very confident saying that now it's important that he does stay healthy because like you mentioned, he he had a broken collarbone in early August uh, during uh, summer camp. And that kept him out the first few weeks. Uh, only, I mean, yeah, up until a few weeks ago, three, three weeks ago, he had what, 17 career catches. So this isn't a guy that had the body of work that you wanted to see. Uh, the traits were there, obviously. But, you know, I, I remember scouts talking about Alizé Mack, uh, you know, four years ago and how he was going to be a future stud. Uh, but he never was able to put it all together. And so uh, seeing Cole Komet on the field uh, and uh, producing and playing at a high level and getting open and not just as a pass catcher, but he's doing it as a blocker as well, getting the job done. Uh, and it's important to point out that this is a tight end class that's just waiting for that number one tight end to reveal itself uh you know i think you know jared pinkney uh could have been that guy but he just he has not had a great year i mean he's he's played well enough and i think riley neal's not finding him that's a big problem uh going on with the vanderbilt uh offense but jared pinkney hasn't necessarily lived up to being that top tight end this year um i i've talked about uh, a couple of these underclassmen tight ends and how you know hunter bryant from washington's right there in that mix 
but consistency has been an issue for him. So Cole Komet absolutely uh, is going to be in the top 50 mix if he continues at this pace and stays healthy. And I don't think it's a stretch to suggest that he could be a first-round pick because he's 6'6", 255, and I think he's going to test really well. Won't be surprised if he runs in the four sixes in the 40-yard dash. Well, as this is the Prospects to Pros podcast, I guess we should spend at least a couple minutes on the NFL uh, weekend. And it's this has been a really interesting season um, just in terms of what's happening with the quarterback position. <laughs> a number of teams that have had to go to guys that, as we've talked about before, we never really thought would be playing this year. Yeah, Devlin Hodges got a win for Pittsburgh. Mm. Kyle, Kyle Allen basically has the Panthers like – taking their sweet time with Cam Newton because he's playing so well as a starter. I mean, there's been some pretty interesting developments uh, just in terms of the not only who's playing well, but just the guys that we're seeing, period. Like a lot of these guys that we never thought would be uh, really taking NFL snaps as a starter, maybe at any point in their careers, are now stepping in and winning games. Um and Kyle Allen's one I wanted to bring up specifically. Just I know we've talked about him. I mean, we talked about him when he sort of had to step into the starting job um, because he, you know, he was kind of such an interesting player uh, in college from Texas A&M to Houston, and then you know undrafted. But um, I mean, he's been really good for them. And I think you you can't really blame him for you know just sort of letting Cam have an extra couple of weeks because they keep winning with Kyle Allen at quarterback. Yeah. And I, I think I mentioned this uh, in one of our shows, but the most damning thing that I heard throughout the 2018 draft when I was doing background work on Kyle Allen was someone close to the uh, Houston program uh, who was worked with Kyle Allen on a daily basis said, he does everything in the how to be a quarterback playbook, but he doesn't like competition. Uh, he's not an alpha. Um, like he just, it was not a glowing review. Like, like I said, you know, he does everything in the quarterback playbook, you know, in terms, you know, he's six, three, he's two ten. He's, he, he, he does everything you're supposed to do, but when it came down to it, he didn't do that little bit extra uh, because he just didn't have that mindset. And that's why I gave him an undrafted uh, grade. I mean, that's why I went undrafted. That's why he didn't do much. Or, you know, he, after two seasons, he was out at A&M and he transferred, uh, goes to Houston and had four touchdowns, four interceptions. You know, just nothing, he, nothing that he did uh, besides being a former five-star guy and top recruit would have suggested he's going to be an NFL quarterback. But Credit to him and credit to whether it's just it's the quarterback's coach, the offensive coordinator, whatever the, the Panthers are doing, they're they've got him locked in, and you know they're 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 pushing the right buttons with Kyle Allen right now. And I don't know, maybe the light bulb just came turned on, and this is why it's <laughs> it is so tough to evaluate the position because it just nothing was there in college to suggest he was capable of this. Uh, or I would say very, very little. Uh, but to his credit, he's doing it. And so far, so good. And it's, yeah, it's it's the year of the backup quarterback. The year of yeah. the, I mean, when Devlin Hodges is getting a win <laughs> on the road, I, I think it was a road game, but maybe yeah, not right. depending on the who was in the stands, but uh, in Los Angeles against the Chargers. But, I mean, it's just, it's it's pretty interesting. And it, 
just goes to show you how much coaching matters in this league. <laughs> when Devlin Hodges is winning games on the road and Kyle Allen's what four and zero now as a starter, yeah. or five and zero. I, I mean, it, it's just coaching matters, and that could be the difference between wins and losses uh, in the NFL. I don't know. Up until at least <laughs> again that Packers Lions game last night, I don't know that there was a more uh, head scratching moment in the NFL for me this year than when the Steelers were milking a lead uh, on Sunday night and had Devlin Hodges throw downfield on a third down. He got picked off. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, this, uh, you're still managing, the, you know, trying to make sure these guys stay out of those situations. But it was one of those that uh, could have flipped the game, but Steely, give credit to the Steelers for not letting that happen. Um, the, the, the Jets also got Sam Darnold back. Uh, this week, and he went. They went and beat the Cowboys. And we talked about how this quarterback class right now probably doesn't have a consensus number one or even consensus order for the top five. And going back a couple years, that I think that probably fair to say that was the case for a lot of people in in 2018 too. You know, there's Darnold and uh, Mayfield, um, Lamar Jackson, Josh Rosen. Uh, was Darnold's I, I can't remember. Was Dar- Darnold your number one guy in that class? Yeah, I, I had a I had a really big grade on Darnold. He's, I, I mean, it, the, over the last three years, um, someone asked me this on Twitter the other day. Over the last three, or maybe it was an athletic chat, but, but regardless, uh, it was the last three years. Like, who's going to be my top rated quarterback? And right now, it, you know, where does Tua rank on that list? I would say, I mean, Darnold would be the top guy, and then Tua would probably be next. I had a a really high grade uh, on Darnold. Um, and then also Josh Rosen and Baker Mayfield were both in my top 10 as well. So I was high on those three guys. I mean, Rosen is just, uh, I, you know, stuck in quarterback hell uh, with his first two years as an NFL pro and last year in Arizona and then this year in Miami. It's just, it's it's really unfortunate for him. But Darnold, he showed yesterday how, how good of a quarterback he is. I mean, he... Uh, came back from the the mono and you know what a difference one player can make uh, with the upset of, of the Cowboys and he looked really good doing it um, his, his ability to uh, read pre and post snap is outstanding and then uh, his uh, his ability to uh, just when he looks you know kind of you know most quarterbacks get a little rattled he's perfectly under control and he's able to put the ball where his receiver needs to needs it to, to make something happen. So, um, yeah, I, I think Darnold is the top guy from that group. Uh, now, you know, last year saying that it was, it was supposed to be Baker Mayfield, but now Baker's struggling a little bit, um, you know, with just his ability to stay in the pocket and be accurate down the field. So it, the quarterback position is so volatile. When we talk about this, it seems to change week to week, but great first day uh, back on the job for, for Sam. Yeah, that was Josh Allen was sort of the surprise top ten pick in that draft too. So yeah, that was a that was a fun quarterback class to track, and this yeah. one seems like it's Lamar Jackson be, in there. Yeah. yeah, it was five in the first round. Those were those five guys, I think. Right, Lamar was yep. the last pick of the first, first round. So yeah, the first time we you know four quarterbacks go top ten, and um, you know Lamar Jackson I think was the final pick, to pick thirty two to to the Ravens, and so yeah, that's. Uh, it's funny that the Ravens drafted Hayden Hurst and then five picks later, six picks later said, yeah, let's trade back in and get Lamar Jackson. And so uh, say that turned out okay for that organization. Yeah. And Mason Rudolph was around three pick in that class too. So it was, uh, yeah. it's uh, been a, a 
pretty interesting quarterback class already and one certainly to keep an eye on here just to see how it all unfolds and who we're talking about is the best QB there in a couple of years. Um, and we'll be doing the same thing with the 2020 class. And as I said, we're already talked a lot about the quarterbacks. We'll continue to do so. Um, and we'll be back Thursday with our look ahead to the college football weekend, the NFL weekend. Uh, Sam Darnold's Jets have the Patriots on Monday night. So maybe they can be, maybe someone can, can get the Patriots. Uh, uh, they can pull off another surprise there. But yeah, another big weekend of college football coming up. Um, and we'll get into that on our subscriber show. If you haven't subscribed yet, theathletic.com slash prospects to pros, you can go get uh, a deal on your subscription and check out all the content on our site. Everything Dane's writing already about the NFL draft. Uh, you get at least a couple posts a week, week there, plus our, our show previewing the weekends. And you can get access to everything in our podcast network uh, and around the site itself. So definitely go do that uh thanks to everyone who's listened to our show so far please rate us review us let us know what you think i'm at chris burke nfl on twitter dane's at dp brugler uh and i guess we can probably wrap up there uh thanks to our producer kent garrison i'm gonna go try and get some coffee maybe maybe get a little <laughs> bit of sleep <laughs> see if i can recover from that packers lions game so uh dana enjoy the xfl draft here and we can talk about that too on thursday when we get back at it yeah absolutely All right, guys, uh, thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you in a couple days.